Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek, is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Plus. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Stephen Ruiz is back, everybody. Back from a from, uh, little, little time on the, the reserve list. Stephen. What's going on, man? I actually have to wrap this up in a little bit because I have to go play a football game for the 49ers. I'm actually fifth on their depth chart right now, so I might have to play. I, I knew you were. I knew you were. I, I hope that you'll have to pass your COVID test first. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is The Counter. I'm Chris Corman uh, from For the Win, joined by Steven Ruiz, as per usual. We got a lot to talk about. Uh Mostly, we we are trying to keep up with what is going on with the NFL and COVID-19, because as with the rest of the country, uh, this is just running rampant. It's all over the place at this point. Uh, There are uh, new reports uh, just seconds before we started recording on Thursday afternoon. We discovered that Trent Brown, the uh, tackle for the Las Vegas Raiders, who'd been on the list and then was taken off and then had an IV that forced air into his blood. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, he was, he's only missed time for that. And then he, he was, appeared to be coming back and now he's back on the COVID list. Uh, so there are other, other things going on. So we will try to catch you up broadly on that. We're going to talk about the Patriots, uh, which we talk about a lot, the Patriots and Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick and that whole question of, uh, who needed whom more, uh, who who should get the credit. And we're going to look at it through the lens of what everyone is talking about, right? The Buccaneers are great. They're going to win the Super Bowl and the Patriots are terrible. And this is some sort of proof of of who, who was more important. And Stephen, as he generally does, is going to utterly decimate that ridiculous uh, narrative that has emerged so far. Uh, and then we're going to jump into the games for the week. A couple good ones. Four, I think, that we are particularly intrigued by. Saints, Bucks, Seahawks, Bills, Ravens, Colts, uh, Cardinals, Dolphins. Uh, so we'll we'll dig in on that. But let's, let's try to uh, corral this COVID news right now. So the, the Bears and Chiefs uh, closed their facilities Thursday um, uh, due to positive tests. 
the <laughs> I'm trying to think which other teams. The Texans were shut down uh, earlier this week. That's a second straight week for the Texans. Uh, linebackers Jacob Martin, Whitney Merciless, and Dylan Cole are all on the COVID list because of that. The Eagles had a player uh, test positive on Thursday. It's unclear what ramifications that will have. That player is apparently uh, he's quarantining, but but the Eagles are on by this week, so uh, you know it's not threatening a game. Uh, but two teams that are are <laughs> perhaps most inflicted and had the, their their uh, practice facilities closed on Wednesday due to positive tests are the uh, San Francisco 49ers and the Green Bay Packers who happen to be playing Thursday night football and they are they are still playing. Uh, each team has multiple players on the COVID-19 reserve list. Uh, it's so many that we're looking at lists. We're looking at injured player lists uh, across the internet and, and the players don't even all fit on the list <laughs> where we're at. Uh, the, I mean, the 49ers obviously have so many other injuries as well. Uh, uh, but it's, it's a lot, man. It's, uh, it's crazy. And it, it feels like at this point, uh, the country has lost grips a little bit on, on coronavirus. I think we're, we're, up around that hundred thousand new cases a day mark, a thousand deaths. You know, as we wait, as we wait for the election returns to come in, we uh, our our maps have switched, our numbers have switched. We're talking about votes instead of illnesses and death, and so all that's <laughs> happening in the background, and we're sort of missing it. Uh, but it's it's really skyrocketing. The good news is the good news is right when the the election is over. This thing's going to disappear. That's that's the good news. So we have that to look forward to. I, I, I have heard that from. You forgot about that part. I, 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 yeah, for some reason, that factoid. The pandemic. Many times. Yeah, it did not, did not stick in my brain. Weirdly, weirdly, <laughs> but, weirdly, weirdly. But what what's happened is kind of what we predicted would happen earlier in the year when we when we saw these the first few teams have outbreaks and they had to realign the schedule and we wondered what would happen if there's more outbreaks and you are, you already realigned the schedule and there was no more wiggle room and we're seeing what the NFL's answer is it's we're just going to play through it right uh yeah i mean we are just at the point where uh it just does not really it seems to be that the NFL has just sort of made peace with uh, with things, and I mean, I mean to I, you know, presumably the the treatment processes are better for this disease, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're like we've moved down the line, but like we are at much higher daily rate now than we were in July when people were making decisions and worrying about the NFL having a season, right? Like the, the numbers are like, Oh man, look at this spike. We have, what are we going to do? The numbers now are higher than that. Like we, this, this is the worst that coronavirus has been in the country as far as the disease. Uh, you know, I, I haven't looked closely at the death rates, but it, you know, we, we have not made that much of a leap that all of a sudden this is not something worth worrying about. Uh, I know that that, I understand that that thought is out there and it's prevalent in a lot of communities, but uh, this thing continues to move rapidly. Uh, it used to be highly contagious and incredibly dangerous for people uh, with pre-existing conditions, but other people, you know, there's, uh, I know of a, a, 
a, a, an acquaintance of mine, a, a writer who covers sports in Pittsburgh, his 20 year old sister died of it. Um, in her, they found her dead in her dorm room. Like this, <laughs> this is not, I don't, you know, this, we still are learning and figuring out so much about this virus and it is still rampaging. Uh, but like you said, we, we sort of, I mean, it felt cynical at the time, but it was based in fact, what we know about the NFL and football in general and how merciless it can be about the safety of players. Uh, and, and, you know, those players, they want to play, they want to make money. Uh, they, they at least had a seat at the bargaining table. Um, you'll remember that vote. The vote was, was pretty close. You know, it was not, not super unanimous that, that the league should come back, but um Ultimately, they're back, and this is sort of what we thought would happen. Uh, there would be an effort to avoid it, and then eventually it would just sort of be, let's plow ahead. We've, we've started, and we're going to go. And I think we've reached that point. It, it reminds me of the lowering the helmet rule, and I, I've probably made this analogy before, where we had the rule for like, it seemed like three weeks where the rules actually being applied and everyone complained. And then eventually they quietly stopped making the calls, but they still have that rule to point to. They could still say, look, we tried to make the game safer, but it, I mean, they're doing the same thing with this. Like they put in all these protocols, like at the beginning, they were actually rescheduling games. They were holding players out, but now it's just like, we got to get the season played. We don't really care what has to happen to make the season happen. And this game, like, I don't understand how anyone can explain this game being played on Thursday night. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Outside of, of course, the network's already paid and they, they want their ad money. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there was a Thursday game moved already. Uh, but, but I mean, I assume it's just harder to do, right? Like it's, it's, there's not, you move a Sunday one o'clock game and, and there's other relatively equal programming to replace it. Uh, you know, this is, I mean, it certainly feel again, not to be cynical, but it just certainly feels like this is the NFL serving up its players, even though they're there. There's no way that there isn't heightened risk. I mean, there just is the, it's just the way that this works. Uh, these players are at a heightened risk tonight going into the stadium and playing against each other of spreading this and taking it home to loved ones or taking it to the facility on Monday or Tuesday when they return and getting the the lunch lady sick. <laughs> like that's, it's a virus. Like it just doesn't, it's, it, it moves from body to body regardless of anything else. So uh, if you're putting them together frequently, you're making those, those people gather it's it's more dangerous so uh you know we're we we will continue to cover the league as best we can and and talk about it and revel in the good football that happens but we need to acknowledge that in the background that that there's (laughs) there's a bigger there's a bigger thing going on here and and the nfl is is sort of soldiering through it as the nfl often does uh so let's let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about one of the uh bigger off-season sort of narratives that that we dug into and wondered about and uh i i feel 
This is one of those things where we we certainly hype. We were part of the hype for it over the summer, right? Like we were part of the people who made this a big story. Like, oh, who's more important, Belichick or Brady? We're mm-hmm. going to know. Like we, you know, it, it certainly felt like those two, uh, I, I, you know, I wouldn't say got as sick of each other, but weren't, they weren't against the idea of going out on their own and doing their own thing. You know, we've talked endlessly about Belichick being excited to have a quarterback like Cam Newton, who's more dynamic and does more things on the field than Tom Brady. And we've talked about Brady wanting to be in a more, uh, uh, a more a system that allows him to fling the ball over the field more and, and be outside of the Patriot way, which is pretty constricting. Uh, and so we, we set this up, uh, but now here we are eight weeks into the season, literally halfway through the season and people are jumping to gigantic conclusions, right. And looking at the, the bucks being five and two in a super bowl favorite and the, uh, the Patriots being the opposite, right. I think the, are they two and five? I'm forgetting records at this point. Yeah, they're two and five. Uh, um, two and five. So, oh, the Bucks are six and two. Sorry, they've not had their bye week yet. So, uh, there's a lot of jumping conclusions, right? Like, oh, it turns out Brady, the the, the Patriots really needed Brady. They they've uh, they're really suffering without Tom Brady, uh, which is something that you pretty easily tore apart just by looking at Brady's last eight games with the Patriots last season with, you know, relatively the same roster, the same lack of supporting cast around him Uh, and comparing those numbers, the, the advanced numbers to Cam Newton and Newton's, you know, all the numbers that you would really want to use to compare players. Uh, So EPA per play Newton is at 0.06. Brady was at negative 0.01 0.01 success rate Newton 52% Brady 40% completion over expected Newton's at negative 1.1 Brady negative 5.7 pass grade uh, Newton is 71.9 Brady 68.6 so they they both I mean those numbers are not fantastic uh, but they were both bad within this offense um, but you you were listening to uh, a, a podcast of uh, 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 a friend of the show, I'll say. We haven't actually had him on yet, but we're we're going no, but, to make. Yeah, he said he's he, he'll come on anytime. So yeah, uh, uh, Coach Voss from the Make Defense Great Again podcast uh, had Dean Pease. I feel like Dean. I feel like we're probably the number one. Maybe him. He got Dean Pease actually on his podcast. But we we love Dean Pease. We talked about Dean Pease a lot. Um, and he got Dean Pease on his podcast, and Pease was asked about uh, you know, a question that I've always had. Like this is such a great question uh, about what it's like actually game planning when Bill Belichick is your head coach and you're the defensive coordinator, right? Because we all sit here thinking, man, Bill Belichick's the greatest defensive mind of all time. He probably just, if you're the defensive coordinator, you're probably just sitting there doing, you know, who knows what you're doing. Like, But but it's really Belichick's show. I mean, that's certainly what I've assumed. And in fact, I still sort of assume it now. <laughs> um, but uh, given that there's no defense, I don't think they have an official defense coordinator. Uh, no, they don't. Sort of, it's sort of by committee still, and it might be Bill Belichick's son. So I think Bill is at this point very involved. But Dean Pease was asked what it was like for him when he was there 
what, 2006 to 2009. Uh, and he gave a completely fascinating answer. It's uh, so interesting. We're just going to play it for you now. Uh, and then we will come back and dive in on what we think it tells us. The counter. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like Coach Belichick. I mean, there's a, he was a defensive, really great defensive coordinator. But he spent maybe 45 minutes a week with us on defense. Wow. What would he do the rest of the time? I mean, what, what is he with the offense or? No, he spent with Tom Brady telling Tom Brady, here's what those defenses are doing against you, oh. which was perfect. He said in the, he sat in the meeting room with Tom every day in individual meetings and unit meetings. And well, you know, you and me, he'd have team meeting, but I'd have a defensive unit meeting. He was never in there. We'd meet as a defensive staff, and then he'd walk in on Wednesday night and maybe about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, and I'd tell him, here's what we talked to thinking about. Is there anything else you got? He might have something. He might not. Or he might throw something out, and we'd say, well, we talked about that, but here's why we didn't like it. And he might say, yeah, okay, I agree. Or he might say, no, I really want you to run, try this or run this. But he, no, he did not sit in there with us. Everybody, I know everybody probably thinks he did. He didn't. He he. He, he did he did an incredible job of sitting with Tom and we, like we're playing the Jets or something. He's telling Tom, here's what to look for. Here's what that safety's showing you. Here's what the linebacker's showing you. I mean, what a great tool to have a guy like that with that experience sitting with your quarterback, teaching him how to read defenses. All right. Yeah. I mean, that, Stephen, I... Uh, I know you heard this and you immediately sent it to me and it just jumped out to you as being such a fascinating discovery that it was 45 minutes a week that Belichick was really engaging with the defense. And the reason is that he was essentially using his defensive genius to train Tom Brady. And you went back and looked at the stats and Brady's trajectory and noticed something really interesting about what happened at the time that Pease is describing. Yeah, this was when Brady really took off from, I guess he was like a Pro Bowl quarterback. He, right. Even in the early days, he was more of a game manager when they first when they won their first Super Bowl, and then he started to throw more. But he was still a quarterback that was throwing interceptions at not a, a high rate, like he was still above league average in that regard, but he wasn't the... the the kind of guy he is now, how he protects the ball. But that really changed, and his other numbers really spiked during this time period. Of course, it also had to do with getting Randy Moss and Wes Welker and eventually Gronkowski. But this is really when Brady injected himself in that discussion of who the best quarterback in the NFL was. At the time, it was like Peyton Manning, and that's it. And the Super Bowls were definitely helping, but then – Brady didn't have the numbers Peyton did, but once this happened, those numbers shot up and he had the numbers that Peyton did. And, and that's when really he took over the GOAT discussion. And it coincides with Belichick, I guess, passing off the responsibilities of the defensive coordinator to his assistants and letting them handle the game planning. And he could just focus on 
coaching up Tom Brady and, and teaching him how to read a defense and teaching him how defenses are going to attack him. And that's really when we talk about Tom Brady and his legacy and, and how he wins as a player, it's always been he's just smarter than everyone and he wins with his mind. He's not physically impressive, but he's smarter than everyone and puts in the work. And apparently Belichick was the guy that was really help, helping to develop him. And it makes sense because Brady has had like, I don't know, like six or eight offensive coordinators and the system really hasn't changed and when you have this debate over who's more important, I think a lot of people point to the year these years when the defense wasn't very good, but the team remained good because Brady was carrying the offense. Well, it turns out that Belichick had a large hand in that happening. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, a re- it really does adjust the narrative in a pretty significant way. And uh, I mean, I, I think you and I are in agreement that like ultimately this discussion is. Uh, you know, we we have a podcast, so we we know that you need to talk about stuff like this, right? Like this is this is the stuff that sports that talking about sports is made of. Like you you compared it to the Jordan Lebron debate. Like there is no one's ever going to agree, and it's always going to be talked about. Uh, but honestly, I, if we could just step back and say, like, wow, the fact that Tom Brady got overlooked by everyone multiple times and ended up with Bill Belichick, who was not on it was not clearly on a trajectory to become the greatest coach of all time right he'd lost his job in cleveland and was was straggling along as the patriots coach the just the fact that they those two got thrown together and that their brains could work together in this way and create you know brady you know that belichick was going to eventually handle the defense and turn and and do what he did uh, in later years, and as we've broken down, you, you've talked about at length, you know, he had that in his book, but he was also able to take it and teach it to Tom Brady. Uh, you know, like, just be thankful that that happened and, and we were able to see it, uh, see a player uh, sort of ascend so much higher than what we thought he might be. Uh, and it's it really answers, I, like I said, it's just a question that I've always wondered about because you do think like Belichick understands defense so well. I wonder how much of that he can uh, put into his quarterback's head. And it's obviously not an easy thing, right? Like it's not, it's not like you can just do it to a player uh, over, you know, that if you, if you're together one or two years, a a smart defensive coach can do it, but it took, it took Belichick and Brady a long time. And like you mentioned, Brady sort of was the offense in New England in a way. Henry McKenna, who covers the team and works for us a little bit, always talks about how demanding Brady was in practice. Now he was the guy. It wasn't coaches saying, you have to run this route this way. You have to do this. You have to do that. It was Brady. Uh, and, And I think that that's, you know, we're unpacking how it came to be that way that he wanted things so precise and he sort of directed the offense because he's he's the one sitting with Belichick and making it and creating it and adjusting it to what defenses are giving them. Yeah, I don't think in any way it takes any credit away from Brady. I think it just adds to to Belichick's legacy because he he his legacy is built on these defensive game plans. But and he's not seen as a guy that developed Brady. He's the guy that drafted him, and that's what he gets credit for. But it's never been a thing like he developed Brady and turned him into this great quarterback. But apparently that's what happened, and it makes me re-examine or just look at the Jimmy Garoppolo trade in a, in another light. Like what happens if they do move on from Brady at that time and they, they, 
they move uh, Garoppolo to the quarterback to the top of the quarterback depth chart. Does does Jimmy Garoppolo get that same master class and does he become not he's not going to become Tom Brady, but does he become this great quarterback and this elite quarterback? And it also like it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo went to a bad coach. He went to Kyle Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan is a guy that makes things so much easier on his quarterbacks, but he doesn't develop quarterbacks like that because we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo has basically been the same guy since he's been in San Francisco. And you look at Sean McVay, another uh, genius that we we celebrate, and he hasn't been able to do that for Jared Goff. He's done it in different ways where he, he's kind of playing the mental game for Jared Goff before the snap, but he's never been able to develop him into a guy that sees it himself. And Belichick did that. Right. I mean, and and you, you it totally rewrites the way you think about Belichick because we, we have this sense that Belichick would have been fine keeping Garoppolo and going through this process again. And it's because Garoppolo had the other things, right? Like he throws a great ball. I mean, he he's a, a very good passer. And it's, it's now understandable to think that Belichick could have believed like, well, I, I trained up Tom Brady in this way and I can probably do that with Jimmy G because that's what we talk about all the time is that he just has not, his processing is just not really moved since he's gotten in the league. He still is sort of just looking at one part of the field and if somebody pops open, he throws the ball there and he does that at an above average rate. But the rest of quarterbacking, things that, and you talk about this, like we we rate quarterbacks all the time, right? Like we we talk about uh, when, when, when you're rating draft prospects or when you're doing your QB rankings, uh, things that can be taught and can't be taught, right? Like Joe Burrow, we think is pretty much uh, at his ceiling because he's already learned a lot of things and there are, he's not going to learn to throw the ball into tight windows. That's not something that comes along. Whereas Justin Herbert can throw the ball into tight windows, but, but he needs to learn other things. And so he has a higher ceiling. Garoppolo, you know, his he had that ceiling is, is probably the read that I have now is that Belichick looked at him and said, like, I can make this happen. Uh, and it, it makes more sense that he would want to keep a player that now that he didn't get to keep him and he's gone on. We all sort of look at it and like, oh, Belichick had a bad read. But Belichick was working from the idea that he could imbue quarterbacks with that. Uh, and this is also not to take away from Brady's play this year, right? Like but Brady. I mean, he went to he went to the, the the Bucks for a reason, right? Like he wanted to have wide receivers to throw to. He right. he, he he read correctly that the Patriots would give him uh, a a trash offense to run, uh, so it was a smart move on his point. The other thing that you got to in your post was that uh, that much was made of Belichick essentially admitting that the uh, that the Patriots you know, are rebuilding. They're in, you called it a soft rebuild. And Belichick generally does not, he's not a guy who was going to divulge. I mean, he doesn't say anything to anyone, right? Like he's that's sort of his whole persona. He's not, he wasn't going to say it, but I, I, he's been badgered so much that finally he gave a quote that, that jumped out this week. And he said, I mean, look, we paid Cam Newton 1 million. It's obvious that we didn't have any money. It's nobody's fault. That's what we did the last five years. We sold out. We won three Super Bowls, played in a fourth, and played in an AFC championship game. This year, we had less to work with. It's not an excuse. It's just a fact. Everyone immediately jumped on this and said, actually, it is an excuse because that's what media people do. Um, but but I think your 
you're giving Belichick a lot of, uh, you're giving him the leeway here, right? Like you, yeah, and he's earned the leeway, <laughs> right? Of course, of course. <laughs> and like we rip teams that do the opposite, that are naive about their roster and their window and whether it's closed or not. Like we rip the Rams when they trade for Jalen Ramsey just to go nine and seven. Like why are we not commending Belichick for doing the opposite just because he he labels it and he says it? I, I don't get it at all. This is these are the moves that he's made throughout the dynasty, like letting Tom Brady walk. Maybe a year or two too early. I would argue that it wasn't too early because he's he's getting yeah he's performing well. But how many quarterbacks would perform well in that offense? Like Jameis Winston, who was written off as this terrible quarterback, I think he's more closer to league average. Was putting up crazy numbers despite setting records for turning the ball over. Like it just shows how much easier it is to play quarterback in that offense are with right. those guys around him, not necessarily the scheme. And then obviously the Bucks have the number one defense in the league and they're turning people over at a high rate. So Brady's getting the best of both worlds now. He's, he has the Patriots defense from last year mixed with this with Patrick Mahomes' weapons. Like It's the perfect situation for a quarterback. So Brady could, could still be a shell of his former self and still put up the numbers he's putting up. I think that's what, actually what's happening. And what's happening in Tampa Bay isn't a referendum on – the Brady and Belichick debate. It's a referendum on how we view quarterbacks and how much supporting cast matters. Right. But that's a different discussion. I, I, I kind of went off on a tangent. <laughs> but like I like I said in the post, the Patriots did the smart thing. They realized they looked at the Chiefs and they're like, we have no chance of beating that. Like there's no point of trying to keep Brady and trying to give him weapons just to get slaughtered by Patrick Mahomes. And you look at a team like the Vikings who they could have let Kirk Cousins play out this year, go to free agency, and they would have had a, a great cap situation. They would have been fine. But instead, they reworked Cousins' contract. They extended him last year to open up cap space in the short term so they can make more moves and try to chase this title window that's not actually open. They weren't They weren't right. an, they had, a good in a way. Right, and they had to get rid of Diggs. They had to get yeah. rid of their best wide receiver because of it. I mean, it's... And now they have the same exact record as the Patriots, except they are in cap hell next year, and even more so now that there's going to be a reduced cap, apparently. The Patriots, on the other hand, have like the most cap space in the NFL. and They're, they're like fourth. but yeah. Okay, they're like fourth. It's close. Yeah. But, right. yeah, so they're, like, they're doing well in their little rebuild. And, I mean, we still view them as a team that might make the playoffs before this season, and... Yeah, I just don't get the criticism of that comment. I think it made a lot of sense, and it, it just it just allows Patriots fans to realize where they're at as a franchise. And I think it like I don't know. It just makes their their outlook for the future more realistic. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, don't don't question Bill Belichick. <laughs> like he's he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's really he's got it figured out. Uh, let's 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 bleed this discussion right. It 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 flows nicely into the game of the week uh, because this is the Sunday night game, and it is the Saints at the Bucks. And not only are we talking Tom Brady here, but we could be talking about Jameis Winston. Drew Brees is limited; has been limited in practice. He apparently has a shoulder injury. Was uh, during the the part of Saints practice that was visible to the media. He was sort of off on the side, just throwing the ball. I guess we'll learn more on Friday about his actual status. And and I, honestly, no one even knows if Jameis is really the backup. I I mean, I assume he is, but there's 
talk that Taysom Hill would play. Uh, but man, I want I want to see Jameis. I want to see Jameis in that offense. I want to see it. I want to see it against the Bucks because I don't. Maybe maybe they would just know how to intercept him even more than other. Teams. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, what's what's what are you looking for in this game? Obviously, two of the better teams in the NFC. Uh, Saints are five and two. Bucks six and two. Saints have come on. Uh, Tampa Bay is a four and a half point favorite in this one. What, what are you looking for here? I'm looking to see if the Bucks are actually as good as we think they are. They haven't really been tested all, at all this year outside of the Packers game. And the last time they played this team, they lost and it wasn't a very close game and Brady did not look good. But I also want to see what the Saints have because their defense hasn't been as good as I expected it to be, especially on the back end. I thought the secondary would be really good, actually, and it's been really bad. It's been they've been blowing coverages at a high rate, and it's not just that they haven't been good on a down to down basis either. And this Bucks receiving core is going to test that, obviously, and Tom Brady's going to test it. So I, it, I think it's going to tell us a lot about both teams. I would not be surprised if it was a blowout in either direction, but I'm expecting a closer game. But I do think a blowout in either direction would tell us a lot more than a close game would. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first game of the year, right, that yeah. these two teams played. And, yeah, Brady looks super uncomfortable. I mean, he looks like a much different quarterback now that he's had half a season in the area of his offense. Uh, and like you said, the, the Saints defense has not been uh, – you know, we another player who switched teams and we thought would have sort of an immediate cerebral uh, impact on a unit. The uh, Malcolm Jenkins joint rejoining the Saints. We thought that would sort of fix some of the problems on the back end, and it has not fully come to fruition. But the Saints have the feel of that team that is just sort of growing, like slowly you know they're they're just like sort of evolving toward the the playoffs, uh, which. Uh, it happens you know this is a veteran it's it's a team that is has a veteran qb and a really smart coach and they sort of understand the rhythm of the season and can make it and they haven't had michael thomas yet he's and i think he's questionable this week with uh leg injuries um so it just feels like they're growing toward it and the bucks are have sort of already pushed a little bit further. So, you know, we'll see. It'll be a good measuring stick to see where they are. Um, who is your actual pick? Would you, you actually didn't make your picks this week um, since you were out, and I made them. Yeah, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah, I, I, uh, and I just did them. I just jokingly pretended I was you and, and basically picked things that against Charles. So, <laughs> who'd you gonna, pick for me? I'm going to either crush Charles or get crushed by Charles. I, I you know, I made this pick probably at uh, I don't know midnight last night after after editing a long story, and so I I don't remember, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to open the post if you want. All right. Yeah, I want to open. It can be like a, like a newlywed type game. <laughs> well, I want to see how much you know me, like if you were trying to pick as if you were me, I would, because. Uh... I don't even know the line, though, so that's a problem. But I think I would pick the Saints to win this game as in an upset. I'm assuming it's an upset. because, And I've mentioned this, I think, on previous pods, that I think there is a way to attack this Bucks defense and have some success. And I think Sean Payton, if, you're gonna, if any coach is going to do it, I think it's Sean Payton. He is a coach that already is used to trotting out lineups with, with fullbacks and tight ends. And I think that's really how, how you have to attack. You have to attack the Bucks base defense. And I think Sean Payton will do that. So even if Michael Thomas doesn't play, I'm going to take the Saints. 
I uh, I picked the Bucks because, uh, like I said, Charles picked the Saints, and I just wanted to go against Charles because. Now I feel badly about my pick if Charles picked the other team. So, <laughs> wow, Charles slander just in the middle of the podcast. Uh, another good one is the Seahawks Bills game. Seahawks have to travel east, uh, which generally is not super friendly to West Coast teams, uh, but. I don't know. I, I feel pretty good about the Seahawks in this. They are a three-point favorite currently. Uh, you know, the Seahawks are six and one. Bills are still six and two, even though they hit that little snag. Uh, still clearly in control of the division. Uh, what do you What are you thinking about this one? What What are you hoping to see? What can we learn? I want to see the Bills defense play better because they're going to have to if they're going to be a Super Bowl contender, which I think a lot of their fans are hoping they are this year. And what a perfect test. Russell Wilson, he's some the quarterback that puts maybe the most strain on your defense in the NFL. Maybe Patrick Mahomes has something to say about that, but it's different against Russell Wilson because he just challenges your defensive line to stay, to keep in there, to keep contain. He obviously forces your defensive backs to, to cover guys for like five or six seconds at a time. And the bills have had a lot of problems playing sound defense and he's going to test that. And if they have a bounce back game, maybe that, maybe that's a, a sign of things to come in the second half and maybe they are a super bowl contender, but if they get blown out and are not blown out, but if Seattle's offense has a lot of success, I'm, I'm willing to write off the bills and Josh Allen has quietly been pretty bad over the last four four games i know all the bills fans are ready to uh to send out those apology forms to all the people that were slandering him in the offseason but <laughs> over the last four games he's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league like he's his quarterback ratings at like 79 his pff grades down his yards per attempt are they're basically back to where they were when, when we were questioning whether he was even good so he has a lot to prove and i also think the seahawks defense has a lot to prove last week they blitzed a lot and had success against the 49ers who were banged up but the Bills have more weapons at the receiving position. So I, we're going to see how well that blitzing strategy holds up against a good football team and a healthy football team. And if it doesn't, then I think we, we could say the same thing that I said about the Bills. We can write the Seahawks off as a Super Bowl contender. Uh, a lot of talk this week about how good DK Metcalf actually is. Uh, and... Uh, it feels a little out of control. Yes. <laughs> Frankly, <laughs> um, he's Julio Jones and Calvin Johnson. And- right, right. I think it's one of these things where the narrative from the draft was that he was super doubted and that, you know, he had the bad agility drills and uh, he had not really produced much in college. You know, the, the, the stats, the numbers for college were not great, uh, but he looked, you know, he was a physical specimen and those guys just become people that we talk about, right? Like there was, oh, is he, is he just a workout warrior? Uh, is he going to be able to run around? Blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, that, that became, he became so controversial. So the fact now that he's producing uh, is sort of being vaunted into like, oh, see you, everyone should have known. And, and uh, he's, he's the greatest things. I mean, was the people are actually comparing him to Calvin Johnson, right? Like that. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. Like he's right. not Calvin Johnson. He's not Julio Jones. Those guys were legit route runners. And I'm not saying DK Metcalf isn't a good player. Like he's he's more than just a physical specimen. But he wins in different ways. Like those guys could win 
down the field. They can win at the line of scrimmage where D- DK Metcalf is more of a guy that's going to win at the line of scrimmage. He's going to beat his man off the line of scrimmage. And he's so fast and he's so physical that it's impossible to recover against. That's why he's so good. And right. you could see that on the college tape. If you looked hard enough, like he was my number one receiver in that class. I realize, and I think a lot of people got caught up in these contested catch guys because they saw he was this big dude with these great combine numbers who could jump really high. So they just assumed, oh, he's one of those guys that's going to, you know, moss people. He's going to win contested catches. And those guys didn't have the best track record leading up to that draft. Like Laquan Treadwell was one of the guys that he went in the first round. He was a similar guy, or he wasn't similar to, to DK, but a lot of people thought those guys were similar. And I think even Michael Thomas tweeted out during the draft while DK was sliding, he tweeted out Laquan like ruined it for those guys. Mm. The thing is, DK Metcalf isn't one of those guys. He's not even really good at contested catches. Like he's big and he's fast and he's strong, but he doesn't really track the ball well enough to be a 50-50 ball guy. Like you're not gonna throw a fade to him. So he's he's just a different type of guy, in my opinion, and that's where people missed. I don't think it was like we were th- watching the wrong things. It was just I don't think people were actually watching the film, to be honest. Right. I mean, I, honestly, sometimes when I watch DK Metcalf, uh, I'm like, oh, it's it's big Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> like, yeah. like he's like he just he outruns people. And I think that's a good comparison. Yeah. It's I mean, it's just it's shocking to see because it's not what anyone expected. Uh, but that's, the best, that's the best big guy, the best big guy comp that I've heard for DK is actually Terrell Owens, who I think is a similar yeah. kind of guy. Like he, that's a good point. Yeah, that's very similar. And I've talked about this on the pod before. And I think it was Nick Saban that actually said it, and I kind of stole it from him. Like, there's two ways to get open as a receiver: early in the route and late in the route. And DK's the he's the guy that can, some guys can do it both ways. Like Julio Jones right. is a guy that can do it, can win anywhere on the field, but DK is the guy that wins early in the route. Right, right. Yeah, if you're going to steal stuff, you used to steal from Sabin and Belichick. That, that's what I like about you. You steal from the smart people. Um, what, what's your pick in this game? I, I'm, I'm going to – I assume I picked the Seahawks. Since I was trying to be you, I think I picked the Seahawks to cover. Yeah, I'm picking the Seahawks, definitely. But I am, I am concerned that the Bills' defense is going to turn things around because Sean McDermott is a very good coach. That's the way they win. But I, I, I'm picking Seattle. Yeah, I picked I picked the Seahawks. Uh, good job, me being you. Um, let's talk Ravens Colts. Ravens coming off a loss to the uh, Steelers, uh, close loss, twenty eight twenty four. But really, the uh, as I wrote in my pick, I think I picked the Ravens to to cover on this one. Um, I, I they really pushed. They finally had that running game that you sort of expected them to have coming in the year. Uh, Lamar Jackson was once again struggling, but I think as you pointed out, a lot of those things are situational. You know, he's not been great in empty formations. Uh, he appears to be, uh, you know, a lot of times when a quarterback a couple it was wet last week. A couple couple times he just dropped the football, uh, but he's he's definitely trying to do more on his own and trying to make things happen uh, because so many other things were working. But I think the Ravens, even though they lost Ronnie Stanley last week, they, they sort of figured out their power run game. J.K. Dobbins moved into to more of a featured role. Uh, and I think that they are going to push down on that and uh, be able to beat a Colts team that 
you know, the defense has been one of the better in the league, but I think you've seen some flaws in it. So I'm interested to see what you expect to happen here. Yeah, these are two teams that I think we've kind of been higher on than the rest of the media throughout the year. And I, like, after that game against the Steelers, I think a lot of people were questioning the Ravens and their ability to win big games. I had the opposite reaction. Like, they played as badly as they could play. Lamar played horribly. He was throwing the ball away. And they were still in the game. I saw that more as a sign that the Ravens were the better team than the Steelers, and I think we're going to see that going forward. Once they figure things out offensively, and I still think they're going to figure things out eventually, they started to figure out the run game against the Steelers, who had the best run defense in the league going into that game. Once Lamar, if they can combine that with a Lamar Jackson who isn't turning the ball over three times or however many turnovers he had, then I think the Ravens are going to look like one of the better teams in the AFC again. And then the Colts, their defense has kind of proven me wrong to a certain extent. Like, I thought they would fall off a cliff. They were number one in DVOA after like three or four weeks. I thought they would be down out of the top 10 by now, but they're actually still hovering around top five. I still have the same concerns that they don't have enough talent to compete with the best offenses in the league. And we're going to see that this weekend. If they can hang with the Ravens, then I'm willing to say that I was wrong. But if not, I think it's the same old story with them. They just can't hold up against better teams. They're well coached on defense, but sooner or later you need talent and they just don't have it on that side of the ball. Right. Uh, let's talk cards, uh, cards, dolphins. Uh, I'm excited about this one because I feel like our, our, your affinity for Cliff Kingsbury is, is well noted on this podcast. I think you like a lot of what he's done. You've questioned a lot of the, you know, some of the stuff he's not really letting Kyler Murray throw as much as he should and and there are things that you're questioning but he does so many creative things he's a really interesting young offensive coach and brian flores has turned out to be uh you know maybe an heir apparent to the belichick uh, sort of ability to craft a defense and you know the dolphins are playing some good football at this point and the cardinals have stuck right in in the toughest division in football so I think this is actually a really interesting game. And obviously young quarterbacks uh, to a Tagovailoa's second game of the year. Uh, you know, he's obviously still got some growing to do, but it's, I think it's going to be a really interesting one. And Arizona is actually a four and a half point favorite right now. So what are you looking at in this one? I think it's a game the Cardinals should win and I think they will win it, but I do think it's going to be close. The only reason I'm saying that is their defense has played well and they've done some things to trick quarterbacks and they're going up against a rookie quarterback. And there were times last week, I thought Tua actually played better than the stats implied, but mm. at the beginning of the game, he was, you could tell, he was just way sped up. He was thinking too much. He was throwing the ball weirdly. like, And he eventually settled down and started making the, the right uh, reads and he was making good throws. So I think he's going to be fine, but... It's only a second start, and he's going up against a veteran defensive coordinator in Vance Joseph who who tricked Russell Wilson in, on the game-deciding interception in Arizona two weeks ago. So that might be an issue for him. But, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by this matchup between Cliff and Brian Flores. I thought Flores really just took it to – to the Rams last week. I know everyone's been saying that everyone's been pointing out how it was similar to the game plan against the, the Rams in the Super Bowl, but I don't actually think it was. He played, a, he played some similar fronts and some similar coverages in certain situations, but for the most part, it was actually more of a new game plan and it was more aggressive 
really like he was blitzing the hell out of golf and golf had no answer for it. And I want to see if he does the same to Murray or if he has more respect for Murray as like a, a mental quarterback. And I think he should because Murray seems to have more of a plan B than Jared Goff does. So if he sees that blitz, I think they're going to have more answers for it just because Murray's a quarterback that allows his coach to do more things. I don't think it's a reflection on Sean McVay which people have pointed out. Like I, I think a lot of people are putting that loss on McVay and his game plan and not being able to adjust. Well, you can't adjust when your quarterback doesn't let you adjust. Yeah. Like It's not Sean McVay's fault his quarterback can't, can't go to a second read within two seconds. Yeah, uh, like blaming Sean McVay for having a bad game plan is like blaming, uh, you know, the – the the little pig who built his house out of straw like if, if all he had was straw like that's what he had to build it out like what sean mcveigh could not conjure up good players like it's just not not gonna happen uh whereas and kyler murray can just dodge 18 tackles and run 30 miles per hour up the field you know like that's he can also throw the ball like he, he doesn't have a lar- long windup like Jared Goff does, and he's capable of thinking quickly and doing quick game. Like, how do you react to a guy all out blitzing you when your quarterback can't think for himself? You can't do that. There's nothing you can do. Like, he did the best he could. I really thought he had a good game plan, and that Goff just wasn't making the throws. So I'm taking that loss off of McVay and putting it squarely on Goff. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how – if if he if Flores uses a similar game plan because he is going up against a younger quarterback, if Murray has an answer for it, and if Cliff has answers for it, I think it's going to tell us a lot about those two guys, Cliff and Kyler. And I'm picking them to win because I am high on both of them. Yeah, I uh, I picked the Cardinals in this one. Uh, let's let's buzz through the rest of the games for the week. Broncos, Falcons, Atlanta's a four point favorite here. Thoughts. <laughs> I don't even know what to think about this game. Drew Locke was apparently about to get benched, and then he came back, and he, he apparently he played better. I haven't watched the game yet. Uh, but, like, what do you make of the Falcons? Have they given up on the season? Are they still playing? I don't know. I think they have the better team mm-hmm. just because they have the better offense, the, are, the more reliable offense. But I think I trust Vic Fangio more than whatever that coaching staff is in Atlanta. So I'm going to take the Broncos in this one. Uh, Bears, Titans, it shows you how disrespectful we are toward these two teams. They are, they're both five-win teams. Bears are five and three. Titans are five and two. And we're just like burying them in the show. Uh, Tennessee is actually a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this. That's a little high for me considering yeah, that was- defense and what that defense – we've seen that defense do to better quarterbacks than Ryan Tannehill. And it's been a theme all year for us. Like if you force Ryan Tannehill to play quarterback, he's not going to look as good as he, he does when he's just – doing play action over and over again. And I was uh, caught off guard by them having a rough time against the Bengals defense, which hadn't shown anything all year. And yeah, you could say we're tough on these teams, but beat the Bengals and then maybe we'll respect you a little more. That's not our fault. You lost the Bengals and, and couldn't score on the Bengals. You have to, you have to earn respect from the counter. Your quarter, your quarterback can barely throw from the other hash and you're losing to them. I had, to, I had to sneak in my weekly baby arm burrow joke. Poor Joe Burrow. He thought he was going to get away scot-free this week and didn't happen. Panthers, Chiefs, uh, Kansas City's a 10 and a half point favorite. I, I just feel bad for the Chiefs. Like, they go from playing the Jets and now they have to play the Panthers. Like, Do you feel bad for them? What about the Panthers and the Jets? 
<laughs> I mean, the Panthers are going to be amped up. The Panthers have played way better than they should have this year. Like they're just they're just like on a little crusade. They're, they're just like, <laughs> you know, they're breaking your heart by not properly tanking. They're just gallantly going out there and playing tough. So I don't know how the Chiefs get motivated. Like how do they get fired up? I don't know, and they do have to get motivated because they. Uh, I mean, I think they're good enough to survive not having a buy, but they're behind in the standings, and I I would assume they want home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So I think that's how you do it. It's like we need this win if we we have no margin for error because we've lost and the Steelers haven't. But if you want to pick, yeah, I'm picking the I'm picking the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> Chiefs to cover, got it. Uh, Lions, Vikings. Um, for some reason, the lion on this game just disappeared. I guess that's probably related to Matthew Stafford, who had a, I guess he had close contact with someone with COVID on Monday, but he's had negative tests since then. So he may return at some point. Um, but I guess it's Vegas must think it's up in the air. Uh, what, did, what is your think of, thinking on this game? We've, we've already bashed the Vikings pretty good, so you can, you can go in on the Lions if you want. <laughs> I actually think the Lions might be able to win this one. Yeah. I, I think they'll be able to shut down Dalvin Cook in that running game, and if they can do that, then we've seen the, like, the Vikings aren't a very good offense. Last week when they won the game, I, I don't know if you've seen Kirk Cousins' next-gen stats passing chart, but it's, it's the funniest one I've ever seen. Like he has no completions over five yards. It's amazing. Like he didn't even attempt passes over over like ten yards. It's amazing. Uh, I'm just worried that the Lions aren't good enough to maybe do that. Like I I said they could in theory shut down Dalvin Cook, but do I really trust uh, Matt Patricia to do it? Not really. I, what's the line on it? Uh, there is no line right now. Let me oh yeah, that's right. You just said that. And, uh... I'm looking around other places to see if it's been taken off the board. Uh, it was uh, Vikings minus four uh, when when Charles put it together last night. So, Ooh, I, I think I would take the lines on that. I think they have the better quarterback. I know actually Kenny Galladay's out. Uh, yeah, I'll go Vikings with that one. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's what I picked. I did a good job again. Uh, the Giants are playing the football team. Uh, the NFC East is still a thing, apparently. <laughs> do we have to? No, I mean, no, we do not. Let's just move on. Texans, okay. <laughs> Texans, Jets. Let's, let's keep moving on. Raiders, Chargers. <laughs> just keep it moving. No, Raiders, Chargers. I want to talk about Justin Herbert because, oh, my God, was I wrong about him. You were wrong? You mean you mean your original scout or your my original my original okay. scout? He is good, man. He is good. Wow. He is gonna be a top ten quarterback within a couple years. Good. I mean, maybe it's the Chargers, so you never know what's gonna how it's gonna work out. Right. But like, he looks that good. Right. Was it just that the offense at Oregon wasn't putting him in position to show that he was good? Why? Why did? Why was it? I mean, that's the excuse I'm going to use. I think, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's that's really what it was. Like, it was a fake offense, like more so than any. And this was like the discourse back during draft season before anyone had any takes. It was just like, I hate watching this offense because just it's like everything you think of when you think of a college offense. And like Herbert didn't really have a lot of opportunity to show off his quarterback skills. 
So the few opportunities he he had, maybe he failed in those, and and it the small sample size kind of ruined his stock as a prospect. I don't know, but yeah, he's he's been great. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to you breaking that down exactly what uh, what he's doing so well. I'm sure that that'll be that'll show up in the take dump or the cut ups at some point. This well, his I'll just I'll just drop in a hint right now. Like his physical talent, his arm talent is way better than anyone gave him credit for. Wow, interesting. And people gave him some credit for it, right? But he wasn't talked about in the same breath as like even Mahomes, who wasn't really a heralded prospect or even like Josh Allen, like his, his arm is up there with those guys. Wow. Interesting. Uh, that game, the line is even right now at what I'm looking at, which is interesting, but, uh, I already forgot what team they were playing. <laughs> the Raiders. Uh, I'm going to pick the chargers, even though like betting on the chargers is like usually a death sentence. Like don't ever bet on the chargers. It's not good for your health, but I'm going to take the chargers. Uh, the the remaining game is that the Steelers are playing the poor hapless Cowboys. Uh, do the I, I don't even know who's playing quarterback for the Cowboys anymore, right? Like they're actually you you're playing quarterback. I'll, okay, good, good. I uh, I look forward to getting injured and seeing if I can break my leg harder than Dak Prescott did. <laughs> That's what would happen to me if I tried to play NFL football. Um, yeah, I mean, is Ben DiNucci out? Is that what's what's happening? Is- I, don't, I don't know. I haven't really been following the Cowboys this week. Uh, I'm hoping he plays just so we have a battle of the Bens. And I'm wondering which one would be the first to complete a pass over five yards. Like the, the, the line on that one's even. Oh, man. So, yeah, DiNucci is sitting. Uh, they were hoping Dalton would return. Oh, he's, he's he's on the list, isn't he? The COVID li- yeah, he's on the COVID list. So now <laughs> Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush are uh, are competing for the... <laughs> no, this no. Like, that's a like bit. A, Those guys are made up. This is like a play, like written by some sadistic playwright to just prove how important Dak Prescott is. Like they just... Is this just who's the, who's the guy that plays Borat? Sasha Baron Cohen is that his name? Yeah, it's actually yeah. he's one he's one of those guys. It's like a new character. <laughs> oh man, I hope Rudy Giuliani shows up. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it would be Ben Roethlisberger in that role. <laughs> oh, no. oh, I hope the lawyers are not listening. I hope Ben is though, because we we both need to get blocked again. I'm tired yeah. of being unblocked by Ben Roethlisberger. It's an insult. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I think this the line on this is 14. I've, I've already clicked away from it. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm taking the Steelers. I think Ben can win this one without completing a pass more than two yards downfield, actually. <laughs> it's won seven games that way so far, so it's been it's been fine. Uh, that's all we got on the counter this week, I think. Uh, we'll talk about the Monday night game, which I, I it's totally leaving my head who's playing on Monday Patriots night. Patriots-Jets. Try, Patriots-Jets, trying to keep up with all the different COVID news. Man, the Pac-12 opener has been canceled by COVID now. Uh, I didn't even know the Pac-12 was coming back, but apparently it is. Uh, just try to keep up with all that, man. It's it's a lot. There's a lot going on. Uh, thanks for joining us. We will be back on Monday morning with a review of everything we learn from Sunday's games. Uh, Steven, how would you like to close it out, man? Uh, I got nothing. I was going to tell people to go vote, but 
That's already <laughs> well. According to some sources, well, people are you... still voting. <laughs> See, I knew there was fraud. I knew that people were. This is just proof that you are trying to manipulate the vote by getting people to vote after they're allowed to. How could you, man? Uh, thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Wind, Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.